Morning. Well, since the beginning, since the very beginning, since the garden, humanity has taken its eyes off of God and has sought to put their gaze on something else, valuing whatever it is out there, hoping to grab it, to seize it. And so from the beginning, discontentment sprung in our hearts. I want, I need, I should have, why do they get and I don't? It's not fair. Discontentment thrives in a self-centered, me-centric world. It seems we're always looking for contentment. Companies spend lots of money paying marketing experts, advertisers, and and commercials that are seeking to, to actually poke at the discontentment in your life. Here, our product, our thing, that will make you happy. But the reality is, is when we look in the mirror, the person staring back at us, we're often discontented with. Look around at the world, it doesn't function the way that we hope it would, and so we find discontentment there. We look to others, and we are discontented with them. Discontentment thrives in a self-centered, me-centric world. But there's hope. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us because we are selfish. Our hearts look and run to find joy and satisfaction and peace in in so many places and it is all running away from you so often. Help us to set our gaze on you again. Help us not forget that you are the all in all. Everything we need, everything that our heart desires finds its yes and amen in you. So use this morning, Lord, to set our gaze back where it should be. On the one we were created for. The one that would help our hearts to sing with satisfaction and joy. Help us to be about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 4. We're coming towards the end of Paul's letter to the church there. And our verses this morning are going to be verses 10 through 14 of Philippians. Paul writes this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length... You have received your, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In Any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. The focus this morning is gonna be on verses 11 through 13, but I want to address kind of the, the bookends there, verse 10 and 14 before we dive into things. And just to remind you, if you haven't been with us, Paul is writing to a church that he planted and then eventually had to leave. It's a church that helped him. They, they sent aid to him. They sent financial aid. They, they sent a person from their church, Epaphroditus, to come to, to help, to minister alongside Paul. We don't know what he's hinting out here when he says that they were hindered from giving. We don't know what it was. Maybe it was persecution in their city of Philippi. Maybe they were working to, to gather the resources, to trying to figure out who they can send to help him. But the Philippians send this gift not out of an obligation, but from a heart of fellowship. They loved Paul. He said earlier that, that they were co-laborers with him in the advancement of the gospel. And, and so Paul is grateful to receive this gift. Verse 14, he says it was kind. Literally, he's saying it was right, it was good, it was honorable for you to do these things, to share in my trouble. Literally, what he's saying is it was right for you to have fellowship with me in these things. It got me thinking that we, as Christians, we should have joy in the fellowship of concerned saints. When brothers and sisters meet you in your trouble, there's, there's something there. And Paul is, is grateful for them. They, 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 they met him in his need. I think this is some of the reason why Paul would write later in, in Romans uh, chapter 12 to mourn with those who are mourning. It doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't make everything right and good. But there's something sweet here when, when fellow brothers and sisters in the faith come with us. They have concern for us and, and they meet us in that need. We should be grateful for the church because we need one another. We help each other. But there's something here I don't want you to forget or don't want you to miss. What does Paul actually rejoice in? If you look here at verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He's not rejoicing in the people. He's not rejoicing in the gift. He's rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord did something in those people. He changed them. He, he knit their hearts together. He, he grew generosity in their lives so that they would be willing to give gifts. They'd be willing to send even someone who was probably near and dear to them, who was helpful and beneficial to them. They were saying, well, you got to go to Paul. Yes, we need you. Yes, we'd love for you to be here, but we're going to send you away. And what does that do? It makes Paul worship the Lord because he changed their hearts. He changed these people. It's interesting. You could read this letter and, and you see as Paul is grateful for the gift that they get. And then you come to verse 11 and, and he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, like, hey, we just raised money for you, Paul. We just sent a key person from our church. And then you're just saying, well, thanks anyway. 
He's not, he's not talking like that. He's not like, I, I just think of that scene in um, the Christmas story, you know, with the two brothers, they're, they're unwrapping gifts and there's like socks and they just throw it over the shoulder because they're like, we didn't ask for that, right? Like get to the good stuff. Like that's not what Paul's doing here. Don't misconstrue what he's saying. We don't have to forget. I know it's been a, uh, two weeks in between these things, but in the, in the actual letter, it's only a couple sentences earlier, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. So it would be kind of undercutting his teaching if he said, man, I was worried, I was panicking, I was, I was hopeless, I don't know what I would have done if you guys didn't help me out. So he's not, he's not saying I'm not thankful. I mean, he's, he's grateful. He says it in verse 14. Like, that's good. It's honorable. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. You should do those things. Thank you. But the point he's trying to deliver here is it's not your stuff. It's not the financial. It's not the material things. There's something here that is more foundational to Christian contentment than stuff. So what is it? That's what we're going to look at. Him. But let me start by asking you this question. Are you content? Are you? Simply put, I would define contentment as a state of peace, happiness, and satisfaction. So let me ask again, are you content? So if contentment is to have peace, happiness, and satisfaction, discontentment would be the lack of those attributes. Are you content? I'm gonna be honest with you. I struggle with contentment, especially when the world is not going the way I want. It's really easy to be content when everything's going smooth. But all of us are real, right? We live in this world and the things go smooth for about three seconds and then something breaks down. And then discontentment just flows. Church, the scripture says that if you have a discontented heart, it's because you do not trust God. If you are discontented, if your heart isn't finding contentment, it's because of a lack of trust in God. Why are we discontented? Well, James 4 is a great passage to go to. If you have a Bible, I mean, keep your fingers here in Philippians, but, but James 4, if not, I know it's gonna come up here on the screen. Verses one through four, look at, look at what, what James writes here. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fighting among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Doesn't that sound like discontentment? You desire, but you, you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why are you discontented? Because you don't have what you want. And you fight to get it. You kill for it. I 
Friends, discontented hearts don't trust God. They are skeptical. They think God is incapable of actually working out good in your life. You think maybe he doesn't really care about what I'm going through. Maybe he doesn't have the power to actually fix the problem. They doubt Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. They think, really? Maybe he can't. Maybe he started something and he realized this is too big. This is too hard. I can't finish it. We grumble. Because we don't want to have to wait for things. I just want to let you know grumbling is just another word for discontentment. And I'm going to be real here, man. I am an expert grumbler. I'm amazing at it. I could say it's inherited because it is. All of us have inherited it because we all grumble just like Adam and Eve grumbled. God, you're withholding from me. You're not giving me what I want. We're short-sighted and we grumble. We forget things like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We don't believe this. This is why we grumble. This is why we are discontent. Discontented hearts wish that Romans 8.28 said, we know that for those who love God, all things work for good now, period, end of sentence. That's what we wanted to say. Often we compare ourselves to others. We look around We live in a world that is all about keeping up with the Joneses, and so we utter the words of Ezekiel 18.25, the way of the Lord is not just. It's not fair. Praise God that the world's not fair. Sorry, a little bracket here. Side note. If the world was fair... Use this with your kids, but use this with yourself, right? When your kid's like, it's not fair, it's not fair. Be like, praise God that the world is not fair. Because if the world was fair, you're dead. Say that to your five-year-old. They need to hear that. I mean, continue why they're dead. Like, you're dead in your sins. You deserve hell. You deserve wrath. You little stinking rebel, just like me, dad, just like me, mom, Praise God, it's not fair. But don't we shake our hands at God and say, like, man, it's not fair. Why is it that way for that person? Sorry, close bracket. Back to the actual sermon here. Discontentment rises. Grumbling thrives when we put us at the center of our lives. When we live in such a me-centric world, we don't think God is about us. We don't think he's for our good. If you have a Bible, flip over to to Psalm 37. 
I don't got a lot of verses this morning, but I'm trying to show you that the Bible declares that if you are discontent, it's because you don't trust God. I don't have enough time to go through all of, of chapter 37, but these are the words of David. Listen to what he says here. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they soon will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice at the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, attends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I, I'm going to stop there because it just goes on and on. But I would encourage you to keep reading there. But, but what David is saying is if, if you trust in the Lord, if there's hope in the Lord, you can look at the wickedness. But, but there's God. You can see these things. But God, you can, right? Like, I trust that you're going to follow this through, Lord. And I want to remind you, this is David, who is the anointed king, but yet has to wait. But discontented hearts shout, how long? I can't wait. Give it to me now. We battle discontentment because we battle unbelief. It's easy to be content when everything's going well. It's easy to be like, praise the name of the Lord when everything's happening the way that you think it should happen. But we battle selfish discontented hearts as soon as things break down. If discontented hearts don't trust in the Lord, you would assume that the natural conclusion would be we would run to the Lord. But that isn't always the case even with Christians. Instead of turning to the God, when we find discontentment, we turn inward. We, we turn to ourselves. Even in Christian circles, I have observed a pursuit of contentment that relies on me. It's interesting. I, I saw this a while ago on a friend's post on Facebook or, or somewhere. I don't know. But it was just like just these statements and then you read it this way, and then at the bottom it says, now read it backwards, and it ends up being like, oh, it's awesome, and life is great. But if you read it backwards, it's not biblical, because it starts saying that I can change how I think, and I can change the world that's around me, and I can do this, and I can do this, and I have the ability to do these things, and then it will be great. That's not biblical. Church, false contentment is rooted in man. 
We want contentment, but we, we, we still often don't go to the one who will give us that. We instead turn inward, and when we get to the topic of contentment, we sound more like the Stoics. In fact, in verse 11 and 12 of Philippians 4, Paul actually uses language of the Stoics, not because he's saying that he agrees with those things, but I believe he's intentionally using that language so that they can understand there's a difference here between biblical commitment and contentment and stoicism. The Stoics viewed contentment as the essence of all virtues. They taught man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and be able by the power of his will to resist the forces of circumstances. For the Stoics, it was about mindset, right? Mind over matter. You can get through it. You can, you can think around this. You can, you can act like it's not a, a problem. And you can disconnect yourself from emotions. You can disconnect yourself from other people. And you can just float through it robotic-like. Have you ever noticed that the American ethos follows a stoic virtue? The ideal, the ideal of being a self-made man. You can do it all by yourself. You can overcome. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's all about confidence and humanity. The stoics pushed for independence. They viewed dependence as weakness. If you need that to be happy, you're weak. I had a family member one time tell me, Christianity is for the weak. And I think he was shocked when I said, you're right. The only problem is, is you don't realize how weak you are. We're not to be stoics. What do you see here in Philippians 4 in these verses? Paul is content because he is dependent. Not because he's independent. He's content because he has Christ. He is content because he has found something that far exceeds all the things that are happening to him. That yes, I'm in need. Paul had genuine needs. He's in prison. In that day, when you went to prison, you weren't guaranteed meals. Unless someone helped you. But yet Paul has contentment because he is dependent upon Christ. Christian contentment isn't emotionless. The happy man is content in his present lot no matter what comes because he has hope. He has joy in Christ. He has the promise of what the gospel brings Church, true contentment is found in Christ. I appreciate that the Christian faith never diminishes the reality that the world is broken. Christian faith never diminishes the reality that things are going to hurt. Things aren't going to work the way you want. It affirms it. It doesn't say pretend like it isn't broken. It doesn't say like, obtain some sort of ethereal 
level where you can just check out and somehow float through the mess of the world. That's not the Christian faith. It says sin has come into the world and has corrupted all of it. Don't be surprised by that. But don't seek to find contentment in the very broken world that you live in. Set your eyes on something greater, something far superior. While Paul is using the language of the Stoics, he is worlds apart. Paul was not self-sufficient. He was God-sufficient. True contentment is found in the proper application of one of the most misused verses in all of Scripture. You know the verse, because when I started reading it, you, you finished it before you even got to it. Take a look here at verse 13. I could do all things through him who strengthens me. It's etched on coffee mugs to encourage you as you sip your coffee. I see someone over here, I think they said, it's on my mug, it's in my hand right now. They, it, you know, they, they're, they're sipping it because it's, it's, it's this idea like, oh, I need that encouragement because today's gonna be so difficult, but Christ is gonna give me the strength and I'm gonna get through and it's gonna be awesome. I've seen this verse scribbled on a sheet of paper, not glued, taped to the top of, of the rack in a gym for the bench press. So that when you lay down, you'd be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Dude, you're 120 pounds. You're not benching 300. <laughs> People utter these words before they face surgery and rehabilitation. God's gonna get through. I'm gonna be awesome on the other side, but this verse has absolutely nothing to do with superhuman powers. It has absolutely nothing to do with you being able to accomplish all of your dreams and wishes. This verse, in context, is about being content when you can't lift the heavy weight. It's about being content when you fail in your life after drinking all the coffee. It's about being content even when the surgery is not successful and even when rehabilitation can only take you so far that you're still able to only use a wheelchair to get around. It is about finding strength in those things so that you could be content. It's not about overcoming every obstacle because most of the obstacles that are put in your life are there for your good. We must stop using this verse and sticking it on things. This is about the power to face all things with peace, not necessarily success. To have rest, even when you couldn't work it out all the way that you wanted to, you're trusting in the Lord. It's having the strength to be satisfied when the world looks at your life and says, why are you satisfied? That's the strength we need. Because let's be honest, even if you could bench 300 pounds, and some of you maybe can, 
Even if you do have surgery and it fixes all of the, the, the physical problems, you really think you're not going to be discontented? Because another sickness is just around the corner. And even if the surgery is successful, death is really just around the corner anyway. And even if you could bench 300 pounds, some dude's benching 350. And then you look at him and you're discontented. There's got to be something more powerful that we can cling to. There's got to be something that gives us peace. And Paul is pointing us to it. It's through him. Or you could say it's in him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. Paul writes that contentment, this peace, this rest, this satisfaction is in him. It's in Christ. It's being united to Jesus. It's abiding in him. In him. I'll keep repeating that. In him. Why? Because those two words are Paul's favorite definition to describe Christians. If you read Paul's letters, he keeps saying, the Christian is in him. You are now in him. You are found in him, in him, in him, in him, in him. I want you to leave today and someone says the word in, you're going to say him. In him. Why? Because that's where the strength is to be content. It's not in the world. It's not in health. It's not in money. It's not in. It's not in. It's not in. It is only in him. Have you ever paused and thought about that for a moment? To be in Jesus, you must place your faith and hope in his life, his death, and his resurrection. You have to stop trusting in yourself. You need to trust in him. True contentment is yours when you have Christ. I love that Paul calls this a mystery writes here in this passage that he has learned. It wasn't automatic. And actually the word learned here is, 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 is describing to learn something through initiation. Right? Today we, we might use the phrase, you've been baptized by fire. Right? You, you learned by doing. Paul is saying, I, I, I learned by initiation. I, I, I wasn't great at it the first time, but I, I'm growing. And, and, and through trusting in him in that situation, I can trust in him in this situation. I can trust in him in the next situation. Christian contentment isn't instantaneous. You're going to grow in it, church. Have you learned that secret? Have you been in a painful, hard situation? Have you, have you found that, that low-level discontentment in your life? And have you looked to the Lord and you have found it lifted? You can only experience it by doing it. But there's something else here. There, there's something else I, I want to address here. We're discontented because we believe we're missing out on something. Or we're discontented because we believe we deserve something. 
Or maybe you're discontented because you look back at your past and you think, man, if only I would have achieved. If only I would have made that decision instead of this decision. My whole life would be drastically different. When those thoughts run through your mind, here's what I want you to do. Consider Christ. What do you have when you have Jesus? You have forgiveness. You have hope. The world's view of you, and for that matter, your view of yourself, loses its power because you know that he has called you his own and you have a new identity. You're a son, you're a daughter. The rat race of the world, the discontentment that you have fades because you know that that hope isn't found here in this world. It's, It's found in him. You can have contentment even as your body decays and breaks down because a far greater one is being prepared for you. When you repent and you believe, when you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the atonement of your sins, you are united to Jesus, the God-man, right? Like fully God, fully man, so that he could be that sacrifice for you. And what does he do? He reconciles you back to God. If you have God and the glorious sufficiencies of all that he is, surely we could be content. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, these glorious words. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ that I am content with weakness insults, hardship, persecution, calamity, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's almost as if he's saying I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. True contentment has never been about that out there. It has always been about what is going on in here. True contentment is about where your heart is found, because when your heart is delighting in something, it is content. And we have a God who is infinitely worthy of all praise, joy, and delight. So if my heart is rooted in him, then, then, then I'm content. When you have Jesus, when you accept the glory of God in him, your heart stops running and it beats with the abiding peace of God. It's filled with the gladness of God and it will be satisfied because it's content in Christ. I'm not saying this is easy, but it's simple. When you grumble, when you find discontentment boiling up, or maybe you have that that low level, don't just push that away. Look at it and say, what is it that I hope this will give me? 
and then look to Christ because he has already given you something far superior. Let us be content in Christ. In abundance, I really wish Paul wrote more about that. Because when we read scripture, we read Paul, I mean, like he's in jail, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's in jail, he's, you know, cast out. We could, I get that. But what's it mean to be content in abundance? I think it's still in Christ so that I hold abundance with an open hand. Because if I have Christ, I already have everything I need. So let us be content in Christ Let us run to him again and again. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us of discontented, grumbling hearts. But pray, Lord, that by the work of your spirit dwelling in us, when we grumble, when we're discontented, when we are murmuring, help us to see how you have already met us in that need, how your grace is already sufficient. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to grow in biblical contentment, that we wouldn't be trying to pursue the stoic view that emotionless, independent view. But let us instead realize that to overcome discontentment, we need to be dependent on you. So draw us again, root us again and again and again in Christ, that we would be content in Christ regardless of the circumstances. Because if we have him, we have everything. So let us, for the joy of the Lord, let us, for hearts that sing satisfied, find ourselves, root ourselves, come again and again to Christ. That his name would be gloried and honored. That in our weakness, his strength would be declared and shown to the world. We pray this in his precious name. join us in singing.
announcement that here at uh, one o'clock in rooms 205 and 206, we would love to have you join us as the, the Thailand mission trip is, is gathering to report back about what they experienced, the things that they saw, the services that they did, and how God is working and moving as the, the gospel is going forth there. So we would love to have you join us here at, at one o'clock for that also want to encourage you that if, if, if you're discontented, please don't just leave. Take a moment, pray. Lord, 
show me why. Help me to see what I'm seeking after that isn't you. And repent, believe, receive the forgiveness, trust in him and realize that even when you don't trust him, he is sufficient. And that you would lean back into that. So I'm gonna leave you with a verse that I'm sure many of you know and so I'll start it and then if you know it, you finish it. It's from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, Just the first sentence. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. Why? Because you found commitment. You found confidence. You found hope. And you found contentment in Christ. Have a blessed week, church.